This is Yasukoya Radio, amplifying the voices of connected government and public innovation. Hi, I'm John Wells, and joining me for this episode is John McMillan, the Australian Federal Government's Information Commissioner. Professor McMillan was appointed to this role in 2010 to head a new office responsible for freedom of information, privacy protection, and advice to government on information management policy. John has been a long-standing advocate for integrity in public governance. In the 1970s in Australia, he was a founding member of the Freedom of Information Campaign Committee, which led the public campaign for the enactment of the Freedom of Information Act 1982. John, good of you to join us. Thanks, John. Pleasant to be here. Now, John, uh, last week the Australian government formally announced that it had signed up to the Open Government Partnership, known as the OGP, and uh, this alliance of some 60 nations that was initiated by President Barack Obama and the President of Brazil some three years ago or so. Now, what do you feel this means for Australia to join the Open Government Partnership, and what does it mean for the OGP, for Australia to join? I think it's important at a few levels, John. Firstly, at a very high level, it's important that Australia does signify its commitment to participating in a global movement to increase transparency, integrity and accountability in government. Um, Australia, in fact, has a, a very strong record of reform and achievement in this area, and so it is appropriate that we participate. At another level, um, it will help Australia in regional uh, regional work. We uh, a very strong message in our regional aid program in the Asian and Pacific region is that countries need a a strong integrity framework and makes it easier to convey that message in a practical way if Australia has itself joined uh, a multilateral international partnership. Uh, At another level, looking um, more locally, it will be important as a way of stimulating further work within Australia. Uh, As I've said in a couple of uh, recent statements in Australia, um, we we have gone through a a few reform phases in the open government, open data field. Uh, One was in the 1980s when the Freedom of Information Act was enacted, another was... uh, about two to three years ago when there was a strong Gov 2.0 commitment and a strong embrace of uh, FOI reform of open data initiatives, the creation of my office. Um, But things have been a little quiet in the last couple of years and we don't, for example, have a a national action plan as many other countries do. And I think participation in the OGP will be a very important uh, stimulus lever within Australia to take that, uh, that next step. So in deepening and broadening these commitments, as you're saying, um, for the federal government to to sign up to the OGP, what does this mean for government more broadly across Australia? Uh, For our international uh, audience, Australia is a nation with three tiers of government, federal, state and local or municipal. What does it mean for other uh, spheres of government? Up until now, it has meant nothing, and this is another reason why (laughs) OGP membership is important. Uh, All of the jurisdictions in Australia, our national, state and and local government, have individually been undertaking open government and open data reforms, but there's been very little 
formal sort of alignment between the different activities. And, and I think that OGP membership provides a good opportunity in developing a national action plan to make it uh, a proper national action plan that not just that focuses not just on national government agencies but state and local government agencies as well. And here it's interesting to note that in fact the it's the state level of government in the last couple of years has been far more overt in embracing open data policies. So um, it's, it's not just a matter here of the national government bringing everybody else along with it. It's actually an opportunity to take stock of some uh, sort of innovation and leadership that's occurring at other levels of government and build that into a national action plan. Yes, because open government, of course, um, calls for agencies uh, of, of all kinds to be... Uh, if you like, more open internally within government too, and certainly open data principles need for agencies to let go a little of, of some of the reins. So linkages between different spheres of government and across spheres of government is important, isn't it? Yes, I, I, I think that's absolutely true. One of the strong themes in information policy reform in Australia has been the need for a better framework to enable information sharing within government, between governments, and between governments uh, and the community, and, and that you know, involves a, a commitment to um, open data, it involves a, a commitment to proper uh, privacy and uh, security protection, so governments need to cooperate, and, and so this is another platform where um, they have the opportunity to do that. Um, the other point that's interesting from the community perspective is that you know, while people are well aware that we have a federal system and different levels of government, uh, uh, and often people don't understand keenly um, the level of government to which an activity belongs and, and people expect um, some uniformity, rather some consistency in the level of service across government agencies. So uh, if we are talking about you know, um, an open data world in which um, there's more attempt to engage um, the citizens' online delivery of government services, it should be seamless across all levels of government. And so here again, I think we can use OGP membership to renew our focus on that objective. It's been uh, said that uh, Australia is well-placed to make a valuable contribution to um, global open government trends. For those of us that have been aware of the OGP as a global initiative for some time now, um, Various people have been wondering why why Australia hasn't joined earlier. Why did it take so long? Uh, I think there's a, a couple of reasons. One is probably a you know, practical sort of political reason that uh, within Australia there's been a great focus on other reforms and uh, and sometimes on the political difficulty of getting those reforms in a system of minority government at a national level. So um, I think that's partly the explanation, the practical explanation as to why there hasn't been the same sustained focus on open data objectives as there was perhaps uh, a couple of years ago when the political climate was uh, slightly different. Uh, but another reason was that uh, Australia you know, takes a cautious um, but also considered approach to joining international partnerships. And when the OGP was first proposed, two, three years ago, there were you know, quite a number of questions about how it would function and uh, 
and how it would relate to some other international initiatives that have overlapping objectives in relation to integrity of government, uh, stemming corruption in government and the like. Um, it, it was unclear where the sort of secretariat for the OGP would be based and what the obligations of national members of the OGP would be. So I think that was a reason why Australia was a little cautious, sort of waiting to see, to get further clarity on OGP rules. But uh, certainly my view, and I think this is the view of the Australian government, it's clear over the last couple of years that the OGP has been a, a great success and a number of countries that are members have used it uh, quite strategically to leverage their own open government, open data reforms. And so Australia now realises the clear advantage in doing that. And of course, uh, Britain is hosting the Open Government yep. uh, Partnership Annual Gathering of Nations uh, this year in, uh, I think it's October. So it's good timing for Australia to participate uh, in that. Now, John, open government, if we just come back to the principles of open government itself, open government can mean um, different things to different people. Uh, the Attorney General, uh, Mark Dreyfus, in making this announcement, has included such things as transparency in government through to citizen participation and tackling mm -hmm. corruption. So open government's a lot more than freedom of information. What do you feel it encompasses? What's the scope of what open government can mean for governments in Australia? It's useful to take an historical sort of perspective on this. I think this, you know, if you'd asked anybody 10 years ago what is meant by open government, uh, many people would answer freedom of information. Mm. And uh, the Freedom of Information Act really provided an important platform. It was the precursor to many of the things we talked about now. As I often say, prior to the, the Freedom of Information Act, government was very secretive. It believed in discretionary release of information. It believed that it owned the information. It believed that the wisdom resided within government and that release of information would often lead to misunderstanding and misconception. Um, so the Freedom of Information Act changed all of that and created a, a different framework in which people had a legally enforceable right in an independent tribunal applying defined criteria to obtain access to information and to nominate the information that they wanted to see. So first and foremost, I think that is still a cornerstone of open government, mm. um, you know, open information, the right of people to ask what they want to see. Uh, the next thing, though, um, is that uh, by using technology, there is now a greater focus on the opportunities available to government to proactively release information and to engage um, the citizens. Uh, and that's where you really get maximum value for uh, a government effort. Uh, you know, some of there's a a good example is the My School website in Australia, which publishes comparative information on school performance. Um, it's been, you know, in raw figures, it's been accessed by over a quarter of the population. So uh, that is you know, that is real effective transparency uh, and real value for money, and that far outstrips many individual SOI 
case studies in which uh, quite a lot of time and money is spent on making documents that uh, are of inconsequential interest maybe to one person. Um, so the proactive um, release uh, uh, is important and proactive release automatically raises all the other um, objectives about online engagement, different uh, uh, methods for service delivery and for exchanging information with the community. So in summary, I'm going to say, I like the definition in the Canadian government um, open uh, um, government plan for its OGP membership and it focuses on the three streams of um, open information, um, open data, and uh, an open dialogue uh, and I think those three themes now pick up what we fully understand by open government. Of course uh, looking back at the uh, at the or learning from the the history of the Gov 2.0 movement in in recent years Gov 2.0 was seen by many to be a, a promise of new ways of doing government, but it could be seen that actually over time it somewhat settled into being mainly about social media uh, in the eyes yeah. of many. What are some of the similar dangers for open government that it could be diluted? This is why I think it is important to take this broad, more comprehensive view now of what open government um, is. Uh, at the end of the day... Um, uh, open government, however you approach it, is about transparency. It's about the opportunity um, available to the public to learn more about what a government is doing. And that transparency can come through people uh, making a request for information. It can come through a, a dialogue, a consultation, a blog. Uh, it can come through proactive um, release of information. So uh, that's... You know, I, I think transparency and, and, and allied to transparency are a whole range of other uh, objectives, of course, accountability, integrity, innovation uh, and the like. Um, but um, I, I'm, I think the, the Gov 2.0 reforms in Australia that uh, occurred around 2009-2010 you know, were really uh, very important and it was really quite a strategic initiative led by the Australian Government Information management office. The only concern I would have had at the time is that it wasn't adequately linked to all of those other strands of open government. So when it was created, there was no link between the Gov 2.0 initiatives and the freedom of information um, uh, tradition and reform in Australia. And that's been one of the objectives of my office, to try and, and ensure those links occur. And I think successfully now, we have a very good working relationship between a range of different agencies in Australia that are concerned with information policy. You know, my own office, the Government Information Management Office that's interested more in the technology side, the Archives Office, which is interested in records preservation, Department of Broadband, uh, you know, implementing a new digital uh, economy, um, mm. Defence Signals Directorate in, in, interested in you know, security of government information. So they're all the strands that have to work together nowadays. Equally looking at how open government is emerging, there can be too much emphasis sometimes on the technology-enabled aspects uh, of it, can't there? That, that there's, you know, from uh, open information to um, citizen engagement, even um, systems to enable greater transparency. There's a lot of emphasis on how technology enables those things. Do you feel that people can easily mistake the means 
the technology for the end, greater openness and and uh, participation? Yes, I think there is a, a definite risk in, um, in that respect, John, that um, the technology in particular focuses on the ability of government to get information out to a broad community and to get it out to efficiently and for people to you know, contact the, uh, government through that technology. But uh, an open government uh, system of transparency has to be run according to some other principles about what information should uh, people be able to see upon request or otherwise, uh, uh, what inf- what, in what circumstances should information not be provided to, uh, to people. And that's why I, I always insist in the work that I do that you still the Freedom of Information Act still has to be linked into it. You know, it's a legislative statement of principles and it creates a set of procedures whereby access disputes can be resolved. So uh, uh, while I think uh, technology um, has overtaken the old FOI model in many ways, I still think the uh, FOI legislative framework is uh, an essential and critical part of it. But in that respect, I'm interested too in the steps that have been taken in England, for example, to broaden mm-hmm. the FOI Act to create a um, a right for a person to request access to um, a raw data set under the FOI Act to expand um, the framework. So I, I think there are interesting challenges ahead there. Mm. Well, on that... Um from Twitter to the latest conferences, open data uh, is, is, of course, a hot topic of conversation. Uh, and uh, you released a report uh, a few months ago called uh, Open Public Sector Information from Principles to Practice. What do you see as, as the big challenges around uh, the open data aspects of open government for uh, government in Australia? Thanks for rating that uh, report, John. It was uh, a survey that uh, my office undertook of over 170 Australian government agencies to ask them um, for their experience in moving to an open data culture, embracing some principles on open public sector information that my office had earlier um, had earlier published. So the the learning in this report is based on what agencies have said. And so it picks up you know, best and mediocre practice across agencies. It picks up the practical challenges they face. And, and, and in summary, I think what the report shows is that agencies now do embrace you know, an open data culture uh, uh, based heavily on um, Web 2.0 technology. However, Agencies are also facing a lot of practical and structural difficulties in implementing mm. that. Um, for example, it works best when there are strong messages from the leadership within an agency, when uh, the, the leaders of an agency and the leaders in government are strongly committed to this direction. That occurs in some agencies um, more so than in others. There's inconsistent practice across government. Uh, many um, open data only works if staff understand the practical challenges in attaching metadata to documents at the point of, of creation and turning their mind to the issue of um, whether the information can be published on the web. You know, simple examples I often give is when any people are sitting around a committee 
uh, meeting within uh, a government, particularly into the, in an interdepartmental committee. One of the first items they should turn their attention to is uh, what documents arising from this meeting, what minutes and other papers are going to be made available on the web so that mm. they're there for the community generally. So there are, you know, that requires really quite a different habit of thinking and it also requires the simple practical skills of attaching metadata. And mm. then, of course, if you're putting it on the web, um, you've got to do it in a way that makes it accessible to the entire community in accordance with web content accessibility guidelines. And that can be quite a, a practical um, and difficult step for many agencies in publishing a... Um, a PDF document can be easy, putting it in other forms can take a lot longer, particularly if the document's got grass and all. And, and finally, one of the other real challenges that we identified is the government agencies, more as a matter of cultural change, to embrace the idea that once you put the information out there, um, it should be available for download and reuse, um, and usually without any payment of, uh, of charge. Now, uh, agencies like the idea of putting it up, the idea that somebody else can pick it up and use it commercially without having contributed to the creation of it uh, is difficult for agencies to embrace. And so we've got to remind them of an important declaration in our FOA Act which says that government information is public information. It's a national resource. It's no longer owned by the government. So while everybody's on board... Um, <laughs> These sort of practical issues and structural and policy issues that have been thrown up by this report really point to the uh, to the work ahead of, of the Australian government and my office in the coming years. So, John, at a time when uh, many agencies across government are facing budgetary constraints, of course, it's natural to see that some of these new initiatives, in turn, will call for uh, additional resources. And yet, interestingly, uh, people such as Francis Maud, who is co-chairing the Open Government Partnership Summit this year for the British government as the minister responsible for these areas, is quite articulate around how government releasing information rather than seeing it as a revenue stream mm -hmm. actually can certainly, perhaps from a whole of government point of view, maybe not from an individual agency point of view, actually add economic benefit uh, overall, have a net benefit. What's your thoughts on, on that line of... I, I think this is a fascinating aspect of recent changes, John. That, you know, originally, a lot of the impetus for open government was more from a sort of an integrity, accountability, uh, um, traditional kind of objective, whereas a lot of the impetus now, particularly from the open data uh, stream, is more from an economic um, perspective that uh, a government can grow the economy by releasing its valuable data um, um, to... Um, the private sector, the government can create um, collaboration uh, between itself and the private sector. Uh, but uh, um, in order to drive innovation, you sometimes need to spend um, a little money. Um, preparing a data set for release um, can be a costly exercise, particularly you know, when government likes to um, perfect and refine its data. But I think what that bears out is that, you will, that it, it's a question then of priority setting within government. When you are ultimately faced with those kind of choices that, look, um, we can only have an effective data revolution that will provide economic um, stimulus and benefit um, if we spend a bit of money, 
those decisions have to be made at very senior levels of government, or at least mm. the message, the commitment has to come from very senior levels. And I think that's why it's uh, very important that uh, in um, the UK, uh, people of Francis Maud's stature uh, are driving the agenda in the, U- in the US. Uh, people, well, the president himself has been uh, driving the agenda, and, and that's what we're looking um, to in Australia to get that similar level of um, commitment and drive from the heads of agencies and from the political branch of mm. government because you won't get that expend that expenditure regarded as a priority for government uh, without that um, mm. that commitment. Clearly, it can touch on a, a range of areas. Do you feel that there's a tendency for le- for for leaders in government, as you say, to um, easily dismiss a lot of this as being IT related. It's for the IT guys, it's for the geeks. I think on the one hand, um, the political leaders realise the potential. They And you just look at the method of operation of political parties and they realise themselves how data analytics um, can inform any strategy. A political parties are very savvy uh, and political leaders are very savvy themselves now in their take-up of uh, social media, of, uh, uh, of analysing their data sets, of communicating with the, the community. Um, so I don't think that part has to be solved, but there's always you know, an element of danger for them. Um, for example, when you have um, a good example is uh, the, the My School website in Australia, which shows the performance of schools across Australia. That creates political issues for local representatives. The schools in my area are not performing as well as the schools in another area. Public schools are not doing as well as private schools or schools in one state are not doing as well as others. So um, open data um, um, focuses attention on the need for political uh, choice as it should do and that can create, uh, that can be very uncomfortable for um, for political leaders and so sometimes I think you do get that Mm. Uh, that um, and a wavering commitment to uh, an open data world. So while we're talking about building the, the, the case for open government, what are some of the, the challenges that face contemporary government that you feel that open government, data, transparency, engagement can help address? What are some of the big challenges facing government these days that th- these things are are a response to? Governments are realising that they can use uh, open data online citizen engagement um, strategies in the areas uh, that are of most concern in government. A a good example is a high proportion of the Australian government budget goes on welfare and assistance to the community through a social support program, a medical benefits program, and there's a huge project online um, underway there. First, to engage people online so they can access all the services, submit all the claims, make all their arrangements um, through um, social media. Uh, but equally, uh, another project to consolidate all the data from that area. And here is um, an extraordinarily rich source of data for government and for the entire community that can be used in every form of sort of social planning and uh, uh, by community groups, by local governments and so on. 
Um, that ties into another big area of challenge government, uh, for government, and that is spatial planning. Mm. Uh, you know, it's often said that uh, uh, maybe 80% of government information has an address of some kind attached to it. So if you can sort of make data available in a, an anonymized, de-identified um, sort of form, then uh, businesses and community groups and government agencies across the country can use all of that regional and spatial, spatial and address data up to plan their services as well. It's interesting. You talk there, John, about anonymizing certain data to be able to make it available uh, in an acceptable way for uh, particularly uh, business consumption. This raises some of the uh, tough challenges around transparency mm. for government, doesn't it? That, in a sense, in some cases, uh, it, it's about being transparent about why we can't be more transparent. Uh, yeah. what, what do you see as the uh, as as an information commissioner? What are the uh, very real limitations around government uh, information being made available? Here can I sell the model from my own office. Um, we are responsible for three areas, for administering the Freedom of Information Act, for administering the Privacy Act, and for promoting information policy. And that's what I think we have to do within government, is bring those strands together in coherent policy. So while on the one hand, uh, my office... Um, sells the, the need for effective open data policies equally. We sell the need for proper privacy protection. Um, mm. I was delighted in that line to see that the Government Information Management Office um, issues paper called the Big Data Strategy for Australia gave quite a lot of emphasis, on the one hand, to mining the rich value of data, but on the other hand, properly protecting privacy through different de-identification and anonymization strategies. So uh, it's a challenge the government has to meet. Uh, I think the important thing is that you can't close down a big data strategy simply by saying there are risks that, uh, uh, that, that items of data can be sort of attached, you know, a mosaic sort of result later on and people can be identified. I, I think you've got to realize that there are a couple of objectives that we've just got to balance together, the big data strategy and effective privacy protection. Mm. So I'd like to ask, where are the citizens uh, in all of this, John? Uh, we used to talk, uh, what seems ages ago, about Web 2.0 being about the conversation. And so Gov 2.0 was very much about, if you like, the conversation between government and citizen. And We've uh, interviewed people uh, on this program, such as David Eves, who have made the point that in recent years, governments actually made huge inroads to opening up and to uh, building new channels for interaction and enabling the public conversation. Yet sometimes it does seem as if the citizens aren't quite as ready to step up to their end of the conversation, um, including citizen representative uh, groups. Where are the citizens in open government? There are pockets of, act of, of activity and, and pockets of real innovation and an achievement around the area. In the, the sort of the Gov 2.0 technology space, for example, there are very effective uh, um, conferences held, the, the, the GovCamp conferences, the GovHack uh, um, com uh, community, the, the, uh, and the different sort of exchanges that go on there. I've been mightily impressed by that. But if I could jump in, I'd say those things are often organised by people in government. A, a citizen 
stepping in to the extent that government is working hard to open up? Well, I think they are. Some of the interesting case studies that come out of those events are that uh, people uh, out who are members of the community um, mm -hmm. uh, are participating in, and using examples. A good example recently was that out of one of the earlier GovHack uh, processes in Australia, uh, the the National Library released all of its sheet music and said, you know, can anybody um, convert that in a way that makes it accessible? And nine months later, you know, somebody walked into the library and said, look, I've just developed this app uh, and uh, to make it available. And so they worked with the library and now thousands of pages of sheet music are now available online. So that's, that's, that's an anecdote, but it's, yeah. it's a good one. So, but in terms of sort of engagement with government, there's no doubt people are switching heavily to using the online forms. And most government agencies are experiencing that people uh, contact them, lodge claims, uh, seek benefits, share information now through um, the media. And when people are online, they expect an, an open and a prompt response. So for many people, that's their you know, sort, of, sort of satisfactory engagement with the government if they can get an answer and they can get it quickly. Um, so uh, that's an element of, uh, of open government. But uh, there are still pockets around that don't connect with other pockets. As I say, there's a sort of a GovHack, uh, GovCamp community, and then we see, uh, we deal, for example, in my office through the FLI Act with journalists and public interest groups that are still taking a very traditional approach to seeking information on request and sometimes it's necessary to have a conversation with them to say, look, step back, um, you don't have to see this, your request as a traditional request for a document. We can, you can get the information you're after in other ways, bearing in mind that it's probably been digitised. Um, so I, there, there's still some challenges in breaking down some of those, that kind of those hard barriers in people's thinking about mm. um, how you relate to government or how you get information from government. John, um, coming back then to the Open Government Partnership, a, a key part of uh, joining the OGP, of course, is a country action plan. Uh, and you've mentioned, uh, and certainly it's been um, the, the Attorney General's recognised this in press releases, that uh, one of the next steps for Australia uh, as a country joining the OGP will be to develop a, a national action plan. How do you see opportunities for this plan to be collaborative, uh, for it to literally demonstrate principles of open government by involving citizen groups, different parts of the public sector? Soon uh, a group of representatives from different Australian government agencies will be gathered for a first liaison meeting in working towards a national action plan. We'll see how that develops. Um, my office will participate and I hope we're in a position to take a really active role in that uh, process. But it has to be a, a process across government involving many agencies that are concerned with um, records management, information policy, the digital um, environment, uh, security, privacy uh, and things like that. The OGP requirements are that there be a national collaboration on that and so I think that will be a, a real challenge to work out how to engage uh, people and groups across the community in contributing to a national action plan. 
the culmination of that process after six to nine months should be uh, a well-defined document of say 10 to 20 pages which sets out in, in a comprehensive and coherent way the actions a country will take. The US action plan is a good example. It had 26 different commitments that spanned all the areas we've been discussing today and then about 15 months later the US uh, just recently published a scorecard on its progress in meeting each of its 26 different commitments. So I'd like to see Australia follow that path. Mm. So to close, um, we find in our various discussions in different parts of the world and in Australia, in your jurisdiction, a, a very real uh, appetite and interest in the notions of uh, both the principles and the practices of open government. What are some ways as this uh, evolves, John, in Australia, do you feel that there are opportunities for people to take that enthusiasm and become champions of open government, either in a public sense or within their organisations? Most of the work has already been done um, in Australia. We've got an effective FOI Act, we've got an information uh, agency, we've got a Gov 2.0 strategy, we've um, got you know, an extraordinary amount of innovation within and outside government in publishing and sharing data. Uh, but um, what we lack is a plan that brings that together. And at the moment, um, I think it's important that there be strong political and executive leadership in, in driving this plan of the kind that you get in other countries. Uh, the Attorney General's announcement that Australia would join the, um, the International Open Government Partnership was you know one uh, was the most recent example now of a political leader uh, publicly mm. committing Australia to that path. I think we need a lot more of that uh, in the months ahead. Well, thank you, uh, John. It's been a uh, a very real pleasure speaking with you today. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks, John. A pleasure for me too. And so, if you'd like to follow up on today's discussion on open government, uh, you'll find links and resources at gov. 20radio.com. These will include, of course, links to Professor McMillan's uh, Office of the Information Commissioner. It will include some of the things we've been uh, talking about, uh, including the Information Commissioner's principles on open public sector information, uh, data.gov.au, links to GovCamp, GovHack, Agimo's big data papers and of course to the open public sector information report thanks for listening and I look forward to your company again next time bye for now 